Chris and welcome to another episode of the Community Development Podcast. My name is Russell Todd and I am in the plush, leafy surroundings of Sandaf campus of Cardiff Metropolitan University and I have the pleasure of the company of Dr Jan Hyten. How are you? I'm fine, thank you very much. Thank you for joining me and we're going to be talking community philosophy today and an organisation called Philosophy in Pubs and how grassroots um, communities, grassroots activists, the normal man or woman in the street can engage with issues to do with philosophy, can engage with the great issues that are kind of affecting communities and, and, and people, but in a very sort of grounded way, in a very safe, informal way. I have a particular theory that, that particularly some of the government-funded programmes I've been involved in, a bit of that bigger picture has been lost and that desire to kind of critique some of these things a little bit more fundamentally has is, is kind of been lost and eroded a little bit. But before we do that, what do people need to know about you? Well, I guess I'm speaking pretty much from a, a, a personal perspective in that in my personal life, I, I belong to the Raymond Williams Foundation, which is um, an organisation devoted to taking forward the, the work of the late, great Raymond Williams in terms of community learning amongst adults. Um, and also the organisation Philosophy in Pubs, which is um, another grassroots voluntary organisation that, that is genuine volunteerism. It's an organisation that came together organically out of uh, an interest and a love of, of philosophy and doing philosophy in, in public places. And that's where my passion for community philosophy developed, where I could see how, how transformative it was in a genuine community development kind of way for me as an individual and also for the people who were taking part. And the method that's used, the community of inquiry approach, which is quite a, a democratic way of, uh, of philosophising about an issue, has also been really useful for developing critical thinking skills in my professional life with uh, students at Cardiff Metropolitan University in the School of Education, where I currently work. So that's been very, very helpful as well in, in terms of helping people, whether they're community development workers or other uh, kinds of professionals to actually re- reflect critically and analyse their own practice and the policy context, uh, which perhaps increasingly, we're, as as uh, as you mentioned earlier, we're not being encouraged to do quite so much. She so talked about learning, you talked about reflection. You know, these are some of the things that you know I'm trying to encourage people to do more of. You know, within the community development sector, that workforce, or even people who do that sort of work without necessarily recognising that they are a community development worker or that would even identify necessarily with that with that as a sector or as a profession. But if people don't know who Raymond Williams was, he has a society, so clearly he's somebody important. There's a society and know, a foundation. And a foundation, sorry. If <laughs> yeah. people don't know, then, then, then who, was, who was Raymond Williams? Well, Raymond Williams is a very important Welshman who was born on the uh, Welsh-English border in a place called Pandy, which is quite close to Herefordshire, but it's in what is now Monmouthshire. Um, he was the son of a railway worker. I think I think his father was a railway signalman, and he eventually ended up uh, going to Cambridge University, where he d- developed an interest in in the education of adults. So, despite being a, a great uh, scholar in an academic context, he he used his his passion and his knowledge about education to to. to to spread the the word in more of an adult and community education context and we're very lucky that um, there's the Raymond Williams Society which is an academic organisation that produces a a scholarly academic journal called Keywords 
but there's the Raymond Williams Foundation, which I'm a member of, is um, is run by an administrator called Derek Tatton, and Derek was actually one of Raymond Williams' students. <laughs> so uh, he, the fact that he knew Raymond Williams means that there's a, a great deal of resonance with with taking forward Raymond Williams' uh, personal and professional aims and outcomes. I remember when you first mentioned this whole sort of movement. I think it's fair to say a bit underground. Philosophy and Yeah, I thought it was anyway, because I hadn't kind of heard of it, but you were telling me, oh, there's one here and there's one there. You know, I would lap that sort of thing up. And admittedly, I did latch onto the, the pub's word first, rather than philosophy. And, it, and it's not, maybe disappointingly for some, it's not just pubs, but it's, it's public Public play, places. places, philosophy in public places, public spaces. And we did begin in pubs in, in Liverpool. Paul Doran, who's the national coordinator at the moment, and a guy called Rob Lewis. I think Paul was a WEA tutor teaching philosophy, having come to education later on in life, as many of us did. Um, and I think Rob was one of the students on the WEA course, and they were just having a a tutor student kind of philosophical discussion in a pub and I think Rob just came up with the idea that hey wouldn't it be great if we could do this on a regular basis and so the idea of philosophy in pubs was born in Liverpool and I've actually done a few interviews with people who were involved with the development of philosophy in pubs right at the start and I know that Paul and a few of the other sort of early members of philosophy in pubs were quite small in number occasionally and and uh, Paul talks of sitting on his own in a pub with a sign saying philosophy and pubs here um, and just sitting there uh, on his own week after week until eventually people came along to, to join. Um, the idea of having it in a public space is that in a genuine grassroots community development sort of methodology really that um, people might just be in a pub or a cafe or wherever the philosophy is taking place and that overhear what's going on and 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 have the opportunity to join in so true genuine grassroots open access organization really and i love that 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 sort of organic nature of how it might you know happen and then evolve mm. and i kind of quite quite taken with that with the notion of being a picture of this sort of lonely man in a pub with a sign <laughs> and everybody wondering who the hell is that well, guy? Well, I've been a lonely woman in a pub in Wales trying to do the same thing. But then, you know, I can remember being a lonely community worker on an estate and, you know, knocking doors and, and getting no reply or, or trying to engage with people ultimately, which is what that is about, I guess, and not having a huge amount of, of joy. And, and it can be a bit demoralising and you can kind of, you know, not see well, you know, question kind of you know, why, why people aren't getting this. This is an opportunity for them. This is going to be an enjoyable thing. But of course, you know, you don't know what kind of baggage, what pre experiences those other people have had that sort of says, well, actually, you know, philosophy is a word maybe that that's only for certain people to do. Well, that is one of the issues. And occasionally people might say, should we use the word philosophy? Is it putting people off? And in the interviews that I did with people who belong to philosophy and pubs and other community philosophy organisations, for example, the University of the Third Age tends to have philosophy groups. Um, um, there's discussions in pubs with the Raymond Williams Foundation and there are other philosophy groups that take place in the community that aren't necessarily part of, uh, of, of the philosophy and pubs network as such. And the idea is that we're democratising the word philosophy mm. and we're trying to make it less elitist. So on the one hand, yes, because it does have those elitist connotations, it might put people off. 
But if we say, oh, we're not going to use the word philosophy, then we're, we're almost capitulating to the fact that philosophy only belongs to a certain educated elite. And we're, we're basically rolling over and saying, yes, that's what, what we're doing isn't really philosophy. So those two arguments, uh, trying to get a balance between the two, is often um, quite a moot point, really. And ultimately, I think taking ownership of the word philosophy usually wins out. And what people say is, if we've got a, if we've got a sign up saying philosophy in pubs to say what philosophy actually means, or to use word of mouth to let people know, or maybe something like this, where I have the opportunity to speak to anybody who's who's listening to to explain that what we mean by philosophy, yes, it can include formal philosophy and philosophers so occasionally we might have enlightenment philosophers european philosophers we might have ancient philosophers like aristotle and socrates and so on but it's ultimately it's about a process of of philosophizing about the the important issues of the day and inspiring people to continue to think about those issues so often the thinking starts during the, the the philosophy dialogue and discussion and continues afterwards Certainly that's what I find and that's what a lot of people have told me they find as well. And when I use that process with students at Cardiff Met, they're telling me that as well. We make discoveries, we make trans, tra- transformative discoveries about ourselves, but it also inspires us then to look for, for other, uh, other avenues of, 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 of thought on that topic. And social media is really quite helpful as well. There's so much that I share with people and that I pick up from Twitter that helps conversations and discussions continue. So um, we we were philosophising or using a community of inquiry approach about the topic of equity in one of my um, classes at Cardiff Met last week, and I've I've been able to engage with one of those students who wants to continue that dialogue via Twitter, basically exchanging podcasts, links, and and, and information just to sort of deepen and and continue that thinking, which we can then share with the other students when we get back next week. I can remember, I mean, just relating this to to something I... A discussion I was privy to back last year within the Community First Programme in Wales. Again, it was in in Cardiff. And where we're recording, but it was in uh, one of the the estates in the west of the city. And somebody sort of said, well, actually, found myself having to find out a little bit more about zero-hours contracts and zero hours employment and she said because one of the interesting things for me is that we've actually had a couple of people we supported into work big big drive within community supposed to get people back into employment and what she said was that it's almost kind of like a received wisdom in this role in this sort of program that you know zero hours is bad you know it's exploitative and it's I think ultimately there is a lot in that but actually for one or two of her clients that she was supporting back into work it actually helped them adjust with work so that actually a few hours last you know this week gives actually a little bit of time next week with fewer hours just to kind of continue with that adjustment back into a, a, a routine of work mm. for people who've been out of work for a long time. And so she said, for the right person, maybe those sorts of roles aren't exploitative. And what she was kind of going through this process of actually, I'm having to find out a little bit more. I'm having to kind of realise that actually I was just kind of taking other people's word for how yeah. bad these things are. And finding out actually for some employers, you can be a little bit more ethical in your employment of, of people, even though ultimately on paper it is a zero hours arrangement. Now, whether for those individuals, and I think this is critical, whether she was, you know, she also recognised 
if these people are still on zero hours contracts, maybe in two years' time, well, actually, there's a chance that those are no longer suitable for those individuals. And I just thought that was really, really interesting as somebody within the Community First programme who's got targets to meet, clients to help support into work, but actually kind of going, hmm, I need to look at these individuals as primarily individuals yeah. first and foremost. And actually, for some people, it's not this bad thing, this exploitative thing. It's actually helping them into work. Well, I was, I was interested to hear you use the, the term received wisdom because that is something that can affect us Yes, you mentioned things like targets and so on that we need to work towards, and that can be something that does sometimes um, perhaps uh, cause the blinkers to come up when, when we're forced to work towards targets and so on. But also, uh, just generally speaking, there can be certain received wisdom, certain accepted professional truths that nobody is prepared to challenge. And the idea of the community of inquiry approach, where you're philosophising and you're, you're, you are listening to other people's perspectives, and as part of the dialogue you're having is that you need to, to, to actually develop an argument and um, uh, be quite persuasive in, in, in terms of providing... I don't particularly want to use the word evidence base, but certainly some sort of reasoning as to why you have the position you have and be open to um, to, to other people's reasoning and to, to learn and transform. That's the important thing about it. So I've, I found it really helpful in professional education because I've been working in, in higher education for quite a long time and always working on professionally qualifying programmes including community development, education, housing and so on. But that very process is also really helpful in other contexts uh, where received wisdom exists. You know, where we have uh, situations where, where people simply believe what they read in the paper, for example. Often I've been in, in community philosophy groups um, as, a, as a, a participant and someone's come up with something uh, perhaps rather crass that they've read in the Daily Mail or something. So other papers are available. I'm sorry to, to demonise the Daily Mail there. But uh, you, the people in the group were then able to find perhaps a, an elegant way of, of, of actually challenging that, that person rather than getting into some sort of less constructive argument about it. When I've used the community philosophy approach when working with prisoners, there have been occasions where where some of some of the, the the young men that I've been working with have said, well, you know, it's it's really great to learn how to have these discussions and dialogues and to learn how to to disagree with people without having to use your fists, without having to win in that sort of, and also not having to win at all, just being. Ha- happy not to have to win an argument, but to, but to be content to maybe not to come to a conclusion and 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 to continue thinking about it. I guess as well, there've been particular situations in a prison context where, for example, fairly recently, a, a smoking ban was introduced in prisons in Wales. Um, a lot of people are surprised at that because people thought that smoking was banned, but uh, already, but it, it hadn't been, and. And at the particular prison I was working in, people there was quite a lot of unrest, and people were a bit concerned and 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 not seeing things from a range of perspective, but seeing it from their own perspective in terms of whether they were a smoker or a non-smoker, the fear of the consequences that that might occur as a result of this smoking ban coming in. So we were looking at philosophers who deal with issues around freedom and free will to actually consider different perspectives by if if you like taking the personal out of it and, and using philosophy and what philosophers had said to explore how the young men I was working with in the prison felt about 
that the smoking ban coming in and maybe what the root of their unease was and maybe seeing it from other people's perspectives and so on and that you know they they really t- took to that with great interest and managed to see things from a range of different perspectives which again was a way of sort of challenging received wisdom if you like because they're quite entrenched in their own positions yeah and as you say probably ways in which they tackle disagreements within a certain again a received wisdom this is how you deal with disagreement this is how you deal with dissenting voices yeah and I know and, and, and many of them would comment during the inquiries about the fact that um, where there were um, issues around choice and thinking things through and whatever realising that they were in prison because of the consequences of choices that they'd taken and because mm, of risks mm, that they mm, had chosen mm. to take and that's quite an empowering way to, to look at a, a personal situation just to philosophise about it from a perspective of it being a choice that you've taken or a risk that you've taken and and the, the consequences that you are now experiencing as a result of that. And I think it helped them think about a way forward. But I think what, what I found particularly, um, I suppose, and, and enlightening for me was that the young men that I was working with in the prison context were really, really clever, really bright young men who took to the philosophy really, really very easily and they found it really interesting and, and fascinating. We used a, a range of different uh, stimuli to, to, to actually um, p- produce philosophical dialogue together. And I just felt a little bit sad really that had they had the opportunity to use their, their cleverness and their interest in philosophizing in more productive ways, they might not have found themselves in the position, position that they were in because they'd used their cleverness perhaps in ways that had resulted in them in, uh, being in prison and they yeah. acknowledged that. Um, you said earlier that there, there is that element around trying to democratise things mm-hmm. and even in many ways prisoners are, are very, you know, because of their own choices they've taken and the risks that they've kind of calculated, but nonetheless are very marginalised. Yes. And arguably remain quite marginalised even when they leave prison. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and even if they you know, no longer are offending or anything like that, they remain marginalised. So actually in this way where people are able to philosophise around issues, whether it's related to themselves and their circumstances or it's other, other, other issues, I think it's fascinating that democratic element allows demonstrably in that instance you know, quite a wide range of people to be uh, potentially involved. Yeah, and my concern's always been that, that, that there should be more community philosophy groups so that if somebody who's in whatever situation whether whether we're talking a prison context or other sort of situations Mm -hmm. where maybe somebody's in a a particular situation and and the philosophizing approach is being used as an intervention perhaps that they can then have that sort of that social skill or that interest and and belong to a community group and and continue to take it forward as as part of simply being in the community and, and and learning how to be with people I think that, well, if, if thinking historically, it used to be the case that people would philosophise in community contexts, perhaps more so men than women. I'm thinking in particular about, um, is it Gwyn Thomas, the, the writer from the Rhonda, who, who wrote about his experiences growing up in the in the Rhonda, and he was writing about how young, the, the book The Dark Philosophers, where he was, he was talking about how young men would meet in cafes and they would um, discuss, well, sort of, I suppose, local political issues, which had um, larger ramifications for them. And I think the fact that we have to make that happen now by getting a group together or something, rather than it happening 
just as part of, 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 of ordinary social life does concern me a bit and we all know the reasons why people don't have those sort of dialogues and discussions uh, as much as, as they used to but the fact that philosophy in pubs and the Raymond Williams Foundation and other groups do exist to, to take that forward I think, I hope is, is a way of trying to get that back as a normal part of, of life and society that philosophers is one of my favourite books and is absolutely brilliant and there's a very it's always it is very visceral actually there's a very scene very early on because it's a it's a it's a, it's a book comprised of sort of three novellas really where they're in one of the traditional Italian cafes mm. in the valleys mm. and uh, it's talking about the sort of the hiss of the of the coffee machine and it's the aroma and mm. it's the um, the sort of the, the dark sultry looks of the of the beautiful staff because you know they're Italian and and, it, and, it, and, it, and it's really kind of visceral in that way but if you know that environment you've been in those sorts of cafes and I think it is there is something particularly I think romantic and nostalgic about the valleys ones there's Italian cafes in Cardiff for instance but when you're in the in, in, in the valleys as well I think there's something you know just a little bit more like, sort of exotic about it indeed erotic is the, is, is I think is a word that Gwen Thomas uses and, and all the characters that they use about that that setting but they are talking about big issues yeah but you get a sense in that book as well that it's not just them and the protagonists are the dark philosophers but it's not just them there's other people having their own sort of discussions in yes there. yeah it was this kind of nexus of all of these different conversations kind of taking place mm. all against this backdrop of the of the hissing and the yeah the plopping and the and the, and the consumption of the of the coffee and it's and it's not to say that those places no longer exist at all whatsoever but they're less likely you're less likely to come across that sort of situation yeah yeah, yeah. Um, so you know, we we st- we started um, groups in uh, Pontypridd, Triorchy, Cardiff, and so on, and they are quite self-sustaining because people really want to go along to them. And um, I've also had community development workers talk to me about maybe trying to to get some training for the community development workers so that they can help the, the communities that they're working with to actually start thinking about concepts such as social justice for or social injustice, equity and so on and, and, and different political concepts that underpin the situations that they're they're trying to, to deal with in some ways to to make them more motivated to be activists. And I have this theory, we have been talking well as with the, the demise of the um, or the planned demise of the Community First programme and Welsh Government's desire to replace it with this new approach to building resilient communities, quote-unquote. And I've heard people talking about how they want to consult with communities and, and, and things like that. And I just look at it, well, actually, when, we, when, you, when you're throwing out words then, not statements, but words like resilience and resilient communities and building a new approach, all those sorts of terminologies and words and phrases, actually, that's not consultation. You need to be much more fundamental and go, actually, well, what are we actually talking about? What is resilience? What does resilience mean to you? It might mean something different mm, to me. Absolutely. On, on gender grounds. It might mean something different to people who, post Brexit, um, uh, people from ethnic minority communities post Brexit, and are actually being harassed much more just because of their their creed or their faith or, or, or how they're dressing or whatever. Mm. And actually, some broader definition of resilience, whatever that might be, actually needs to be part because they're much more pressing concerns. And as community development workers, we kind of go, well, actually, you need to work on those more pressing things initially with people before they can kind of articulate bigger, broader visions sometimes, yeah. and certainly map out how they get, get to there and realise those things. Mm. And I just wonder whether actually consulta- consultation in this this instance within communities in Wales, or the communities first, communities in Wales, 
is always a little bit premature. It's actually, let's get a little bit more fundamental now. Yeah. I actually think this sort of approach, community philosophy approach, it's timely anyway. It's always, it would always be, be a great addition to communities, but I actually think it's even more necessary now with where we're at. Mm. Because there's a danger that actually the definition of resilience then, just on that, just to focus on that word, that wins out is going to be the definition articulated by governments, by local authorities, by councils, by those people who are used to articulating their voice and shaping well, policy and programmes. Ab- absolutely. And, and so, so they've got the confidence and the, the oratory skills, I suppose, to be able yeah. to, to put that information yeah. across. And what Taking Part in a Community Philosophy Group does is help people to develop those skills within a, 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 a safe and nurturing environment. Yeah, yeah. Because th- there are ground rules, particularly for organisations which are which have an affiliation to philosophy in pubs, which is that you do show care and concern towards your your fellow philosophers, if you like, and, and that people are very careful to be critical and challenging, but in a, a caring and considerate sort of way. And those are the sort of skills as well that, that, that people have told me they would like to develop with people who are maybe on management committees or governing bodies and so on just the ability to have those discussions and dialogues in a very measured and and, and considerate sort of way so I I have suggested this method as something we could maybe offer some training for where people are trying to upskill boards for example you you hear all the time whether where people are looking for um, community board members or tenant board members but those board members can't necessarily have an equal um, an equal status in, in, in those committees because A, they don't necessarily have the information that they, they ought to have and, and B, they don't necessarily have the, the skills and the ways in which they can articulate the ideas that they might want to put across. So a lot of people who I've spoken to about the benefits that they get from taking part in a, in a community philosophy group have said that it does give them those uh, those the, the, the skills and the confidence to, to be able to put their point across and to be able to question and to be able to notice things and unpick things Mm. I always remember one of my students who was actually quite a a senior local authority member of staff who used to go to an awful lot of committees uh, you know the packed committees with the police sadly yes (laughs) we were talking about questioning and and basically looking at arguments and 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 questioning those arguments as as to how rational they were and and how genuine they were and this guy just had this eureka moment and he said oh a particular agency has been telling me (laughs) about some statistics and and i've just swallowed what they've been saying or or they've been making a particular argument about how we ought to intervene in a certain situation and now that i'm beginning to to realize how to think about these things and, and question these things I've got a completely different perspective on this. And each week he used to come back to me and say, oh, you know, I've been talking to so-and-so and I've managed to, to, to question and notice um, maybe flaws in their arguments and so on. And this was really quite a, a, a big professional moment for him in, in that he recognised that actually he he had previously almost been a victim of, of, of other people's rhetoric because he, he didn't have the, the thinking skills to question it. So I think it helps professionals as well as as, as uh, members of the community. So you talked a bit earlier about the, the community of inquiry approach. And what I like about that, based on some of the stuff that I've read kind of leading up to this, and I think this really challenged me again looking at this through a sort of a community development prism, is that that aims for participants to gain as much from the process as they do from the actual 
topic. Yes, absolutely. And you know, we talk about this, and certainly the, the episode we recorded with Alan Twelve Trees again was talking about it's not always just the end, but how you work towards it and the means towards that end mm-hmm. is really, really critical when you're working with communities. We might look at that in terms of capacity building and supporting the development of a management group or a community group of some of, of, of some description but that, that is, is as important as working towards whether it's campaigning against a road was one of the examples that Alan used whether it's campaigning to, to save a, a rural school that I've been involved in or to save a community centre or whatever it might be that actually the process is, is as important very much um, so arguably more so mm. because that then lends itself to them as community members being that much more articulate and confident and assertive and able then for when the next campaign needs to be Absolutely. Uh, commenced. Yeah. So in terms of that community of inquiry approach, because there's four key principles, you talk about the four C's, can you kind of illustrate the way in which the process then is is as important? Okay, well, the, the four C's that you've just mentioned there, they do originate in the Philosophy for Children community of inquiry model that was uh, first put forward by Matthew Lipman, who was a, a, an American educationalist. So we, we talk about caring thinking which is making sure that you are considerate and caring towards other people so that you're not shouting people down and that one of the ways in which that can can be taken forward in a group is is that there's a often a process of turn taking I mean each group will eventually develop its own way of doing things but certainly at at the start where a group is first developing it'll be turn taking there'll be a facilitator and people will speak in turn and they won't shout people down and um, and they'll be respectful towards other people it needs to be collaborative in that everybody needs to be able to have a a role in the process and part of the caring side of things is making sure that everybody can collaborate and and take part having said that when I've spoken to people about I've I've actually taken part in a number of different inquiries with a a range of different groups throughout the UK mostly in Liverpool I have to say but uh, in other areas as well and I've also interviewed people about their experiences and there are people who start off on the periphery they maybe they quite quiet and shy and eventually they develop the confidence or the social skills to be able to to take part or sometimes they just remain on the periphery and that's understood and accepted and and people have their recognized role within the group and and the caring approach towards that is you can be however you want to be but equally when we're talking about collaboration there sometimes there are people who join groups who really are quite shouty and quite dominating and they want to make sure that they get their voices heard and actually what they want to do is to showcase themselves we all know these people they they exist they live and work amongst us and what tends to happen people have said to me is that somebody who is like that perhaps because they don't realize that um, that's not the way a philosophy in, in pubs group might work they will either modify their behavior or they will leave mm-hmm. Because if they want to be the person who, who shouts and wants to have an argument and, and wants to make themselves heard and wants to win and wants to, to find the right answers to things, then philosophy in pubs really isn't for them, which is why it's really um, helpful to have those two C's, collaborative and, and caring. But then there's also the importance of critical thinking and creative thinking. The idea that critical thinking to to encourage people to question, to to recognise logic and to be able to develop and evaluate arguments and creative thinking to come up with new thoughts and ideas and perhaps to be transformative for either ourselves or our communities. 
often what I'll do if I'm working with a, a group who are sort of developing around um, the, the, the four C's, we have occasionally we'll stop and we'll evaluate how we're doing on the four C's because there's little descriptors as to how well we're doing under each of the C's. And sometimes groups will say, well, we're doing really well on the on the caring and the collaborative side of things because we're all being nice to one another and we're all having our turn taking and so on. But maybe that's stopping us from being critical or maybe that's stopping us from challenging one another and so on. So being able to evaluate how the group is going and, and, and to recognise where they where maybe some of the forces are preventing others from happening. Because there's this concept, isn't it, with social media that people end up just following and interacting with like-minded people that it then becomes an echo chamber yeah and then why you get the flare-ups on social media i think twitter's you know great for this is because people with quite divergent views perhaps because they don't tend to hear other views that when they do then kind of clash Mm. then it becomes quite a bit of a sort of a flashpoint then if you like yeah i I Um, was going to say actually because i was thinking as we were having this discussion that yes i do engage in quite a lot of philosophical exchange on twitter but it's disembodied, it doesn't particularly give people social skills, it does lead to the sort of flashpoints, like you're saying, and people feel somehow emboldened to treat people quite badly yeah, on yeah, Twitter yeah. because because it's a disembodied comment that somebody's making, or that you're not necessarily going to have to deal with any sort of comeback, whereas in a face-to-face group context, then you do need to, 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 to learn and, and to get used to being appropriate, being caring and collaborative whilst at the same time being creative and and critical in that face-to-face context. I've mentioned that I think it's really important that philosophy... To to, to me, it's important that the community philosophy groups are sort of develop organically, and and that's really the key to their sustainability, which is that people really want them to happen. People really want to take part, and, and that's why so many groups are currently running and having so many people turning up each... Sometimes the groups run weekly and they get a really good turnout each week sometimes they're monthly or whatever depending on on what the group wants but I have also done as I mentioned some work in prisons I've also done some work through widening access initiatives at Cardiff Met where we've developed a a, we tend to call them philosophy clubs because they're groups of people who come together for a fixed period of time to learn how to do community philosophy and also if they want to if that's what the group wants to learn about philosophers as well so it can be quite nice to combine a stimulus which actually looks at what a philosopher says with the actual process of philosophizing about that issue and some of those groups have wanted to continue to meet a community development worker would always want to be able to walk away from a situation and know that the group would would continue without them. You know, we sometimes hear it um, described as an exit strategy, but you know, I I think perhaps it's it's just about making sure that when you're working with a group, you're giving them the skills to be self-sustaining and that you're not encouraging dependency. And one group I think of particularly that that, that continues to meet on a regular basis continues to meet weekly they've told me that they get so much out of the group in terms of friendship as well as um, stimulating dialogue because you can go to many different groups where you can meet people in a friendship sort of context but these are clever people who who really have, have discovered philosophy discovered philosophical dialogue and they and they want to have those discussions and so on and, and what people in that group have told me because I, I do try to go along to that group when I can is that it means so much to them it's changed their lives in so many ways in in terms of perhaps some of them have have maybe suffered from difficulties in their lives various different forms of health or or mental health issues and ultimately the group has has just 
transform their lives tremendously and they continue to meet they're motivated to, to meet they don't need the intervention of a worker and it's almost like the ideal situation where you'll have an intervention for six or eight weeks and then the group continues afterwards so that's what I have found so I, I, I guess so useful in terms of what community development workers might be trying to achieve which is that it does develop genuine organic voluntary community activity. There was an event here wasn't it at Cardiff Met last year I think it was September 2016 that was around community philosophy yeah and although I wasn't unfortunately able to make it I can remember somebody sending me, sending me a text message a picture of some of the topics that were up for discussion I think and it was again there's a big sort of sport and leisure sports science sort of department within this university yes as well. there was one input from sports professors yeah. yeah and one of them was is art sport and I just thought well if ever there was a a philosophical line of inquiry at least that there's other things around you know what's wrong with taking drugs and what that reminded me of I've said my grandfather sort of said years and years ago because there was a new his, his block of flats in Barry where he was living there was a youngster who would sort of smoke out, out the, the window and he used to watch him my grandfather and think that's a bit sort of a bit suspicious that is that is that because he's smoking drugs and I go to my grandfather asking him so Russell but what's wrong with drugs and it was this kind of can't talk about drugs with your granddad. I mean, it's you know that's just and it was that and when it was the topic kind of reminded me of that conversation. But it's that yeah, absolutely. Well, actually, yeah, what is wrong? That, with it? that that is received wisdom, isn't it? Because so absolutely. often we, we we talk about drug misuse, where maybe we ought to talk about drug use, and we talk about the problem <clears throat> of unwanted pregnancies or the problem of teenage pregnancies. Well, those pregnancies might not be unwanted, and they might not be a problem. And we have this issue at the moment. I spoke about this within um, within within the Community First program, but I think it, it goes beyond that. It's around this this notion that government in all parts of the UK, frankly, will put money into community activity, then community immersed based development, regeneration work, whatever you might want to dis- describe it, or however government wants to describe it. And there's support available for people as long as they want to get a job, as oh, long as there's a job outcome. We hear this a lot, and actually. What is wrong with people saying, well, I'm just going to care? Whether that's in a more formal sense for relatives, for children, for older relatives, or actually in a more of a neighbourly sort of sense. Mm. And I can remember growing up in, in different, different communities where you had people that didn't appear to do a lot of work in the traditional sense, but they were always around and about and helping and checking in. And, and they performed that important cohesion role within communities. But increasingly particularly in areas of disadvantage, we're sort of saying, no, no, everybody needs to be looking to get work or mm. get more hours. And I don't know, I'm, I'm, again, and I think it is a, 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 a potential inquiry, philosophically speaking, the sort of actually, well, is work, or should it be that compulsory for, for all people. We had a similar discussion around this at the Raymond Williams Foundation um, because Raymond, one of the things that Raymond Williams is known for is he, is he produced um, a glossary of terms which was called Keywords and it was his definition of how words have taken on different cultural meanings yeah. and we're currently working in the Raymond Williams Foundation on on sort of looking at a modern version of keywords. There are lots of keywords projects going on. One at the University of Pittsburgh, for example, which is a very formal one, but we're doing it on a voluntary basis at um, RWF. And one of the words we started to look at was voluntarism. And a lot of the stuff that you're just talking about there came in there. And uh, things like being neighbourly, caring for people and so on. And I think keywords is a really good way of getting people to start looking at again coming on to the received wisdom terminology is should it all be about employment 
Should it all be about preventing pregnancies? Should it all be about preventing people from taking drugs if that's a perfectly ethical and, and an okay thing to be doing if it, if it simply doesn't fit in with, with government policy? So I hope that you will take the opportunity to try to talk to Derek Tatton about the Keywords projects. Would love to, would love to. And I can remember there was some stuff because the, the Nationalist Edward was in Monmouthshire last year, principally in Abergavenny, and you talk about Pandy and it not being sort of too far away. And I think there was some stuff at the Estesford around, around Raymond Williams and his legacy and his work and things like that. So I didn't, I didn't get there. On the Raymond Williams Foundation website, we've posted some of the outcomes of some of the discussions and the dialogues we've had about some of these words, and a lot of them I think will be of interest to community development and, workers. And that would be a good place to start then. If people are interested in Raymond Williams and his work, that would be a useful place to start. The, the foundation, foundation yes, yeah, absolutely, because it's 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 more of an accessible community um, type of, of site, whereas the Raymond Williams Society, which is equally valuable, is much more an academic society. You're pulling a sort of not quite sure on that one face. <laughs> no, doesn't no, work, no, no, doesn't no. Doesn't work in an audio context. No, 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 that's that's that is true. What I just said, but the reason why I was I, I was I was thinking because the Raymond Williams society is struggling and it might be merging with the foundation but actually I don't think that's happened yet so I think it's okay just to put that out there. Jan it's been an absolute pleasure no doubt could philosophize for longer with you and I'm sure there's other things that we can get around the mic and, and discuss around sort of community development uh, in the future but until then thank you very much and if you want to follow you on Twitter you are at Mini Keats M-I-N-N-I-E, we'll have some links to it, but K-E-A-T-S. <laughs> the Raymond Williams Foundation and societies, are they on sort of social media as well as websites? The uh, Raymond Williams Foundation has a Facebook page. Philosophy in Pubs has a Facebook page. But there's more than one Philosophy in Pubs Facebook page because there's more than one Philosophy in Pubs group, but there's a national, there's one for the National Philosophy in Pubs. And there's a Philosophy in Pubs website. Go to Google, you know what to do. Other search engines are available. <laughs> Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed these and some of the other episodes that we've put together, this is a you know a new podcast we're looking to do that aims to, I suppose, sort of share learning, share frustrations, share values around community development work, community development sector, the community development workforce, and whether that's a formal salaried workforce, whether it's the unpaid, the volunteerism that you were, you were talking about, Jan. So, so please get in touch on Twitter as at com devd t-e-v-t podcast cd podcast and please share if you've liked what you've you've heard and please share it with your networks and um, we've talked a lot about um sort of cardiff today and in a welsh context but this isn't just about wales you mentioned liverpool for instance and you know this sort of philosophy and purpose this approach you know exists not, you know, not just in the uk as well but abroad so you know we're looking to try to broaden the appeal of this podcast not the to beyond the, the, the borders of, uh, of Wales and the UK, indeed, uh, to, to go beyond that. So please share that. And until next time, thank you.